Before we get started, you'll notice that in this episode, we refer to Heidi, who was a gestational carrier, as the more common term of surrogate. However, there is an important distinction. In traditional surrogacy, the eggs are provided by the surrogate. But for a gestational carrier, the eggs come from the biological mother. I did the embryo transfer on May 10th. It wasn't successful, and that was her only embryo. That's Heidi again. She was a gestational carrier for the first time in 2016. That experience, profiled in episode three of the series, could not have gone any better. Armed with her positive experience, Heidi agreed to become a carrier once more in 2018. She was compelled by the story of a single woman whose marriage had ended and whose dream to become a mother was repeatedly dashed. Today we'll explore the complexities of the process, including negotiations with the intended parent. The thought of red flag did slightly cross my mind. It was a little fishy that they only matched my lost wages, but not Daniel's. Expectations Heidi was asked to meet. She just said, Heidi, please, please, please don't have the baby early. Well, I really don't have control over that. They come when they're ready. And it's unexpected emotional toll. They said, you can't. What do you mean I can't? Yes, I can. And they said, no, the baby's not allowed to be with you. From Bridger Media in Los Angeles, this is Philip Persia Radio, the limited series podcast channel with your host, Layla Jerusalem. So I delivered May 31st. I made the decision October. I wanted to be a surrogate again. I enjoyed it. It was everything went really well. And then who did you inform first? I informed Daniel, my husband. The agency had already contacted me when I was actually still pregnant with the twins. And they had other intended parents that were interested in selecting me as a surrogate for them. My response was, let me get through this pregnancy and we'll talk later. Right away, I told Daniel, my husband, he was just like, it's up to you. It's your choice. In my head, I was like, okay, I can do this again. I want to do this again. I allowed my body a few months to recover. And then in October, the agency actually reached out to me again and they wanted to know if it was something I would be interested in doing again. And I said, sure. Let's do it. Then at this point, you had an expectation of how it would go. This time around, we went back and forth a couple of times. The issue where we went back and forth was lost wages. I wanted them to match what I made at work. The same thing for Daniel, because my first time around with the first surrogacy, they matched lost wages for both of us. And this time around, they were not. It was going to be less. So they came back. They matched my lost wages, but they wouldn't match Daniel's. So I didn't want to move forward because Daniel, at the end of the day, would be at the hospital with me. I just felt like it would be the right thing to do. At this point, were you thinking like, oh, red flag? Why isn't this family agreeing to this? Did you have the option of going to your agency and saying, let's do a different family because it's not working? The thought of red flag did slightly cross my mind. It was a little fishy. 
strategy that they only matched my lost wages, but not Daniel's. My attorney went back and said, no, she wants her husband's lost wages matched also. Or or with the way I see it, I am giving you a baby. You should actually double my wages. Why are they nickel and diming the woman who is going to be yeah. giving birth to your child? If I had wanted to, I could have. Technically, yes, I could have turned around and said, I don't want to move forward. I want a different family. But because they came back with, they agreed. Maybe I just had to point it out. I moved forward. The doctor that she had selected wanted me to do a mock cycle. I had to take my medicine, my injections, just like before. During the mock cycle, there was a certain day that we went in and they did a little procedure where they tested me to see exactly when the best time would be for me to start my injections and do the embryo transfer. So I did that. I started my actual injections in April And I did the embryo transfer on May 10th. It wasn't successful. And that was her only embryo. So, and I think that's the reason why they wanted us to do a mock cycle was because there was only one embryo and they wanted to make sure it would take, but it didn't. Everything was riding on this one viable embryo. Yes. So who informed them that it didn't take? The agency? No, the doctor. So the doctor called me. And he informed me that the pregnancy results came back negative. I kind of freaked out because I thought, oh, my goodness, what am I going to say to her? She's going to call me and she's going to think she's going to ask for results. And the answer is no. So two questions. One is you knew when did you find out that was the only viable embryo? Oh, I knew the whole time. The whole time, which is which is good that you were informed. Mm -hmm. And the second is. Was this a client from a foreign country also? Yes, she was from China. So the doctor assured me, he said, don't say anything. If she contacts you, don't answer. We're going to try to get a hold of her right away. I was relieved, but I was... I was very nervous because I knew that she would be contacting me before contacting them. Sure enough, she did. As soon as the phone call came through... I felt like a kid. I My phone rang. I looked at it and I saw it was her and I threw my phone and I put my head down and I closed my eyes and tried to nap. And I contacted the agent. I picked my phone back up and I said, hey, she's calling me. And they said, don't worry, we're going to contact the doctor's office now so they can call her right now. They took care of it right away. And they did let her know. But again, that was her only embryo. So did you know how she reacted? Were you informed of how she reacted when she found out? She was sad. I know from the phone call, my conversation with her once we did speak, but she also did assure me not to worry. She just needed some time to think about what her next move would be. The decision she made was to go through another fertility clinic outside of California. She did a lot of research and she found this doctor in Colorado. She met with him. They did egg retrievals. They had a hard time retrieving eggs from her. She had a sperm donor. I don't know that side of it, like how it worked. Did she know him? I don't know that. And I actually found out the morning of my transfer that she only had one embryo. So Daniel and I flew out there for medical screening and evaluations. The doctor's office just shipped all the medication and inject needles to me. The next time I flew back was for the embryo transfer. 
second embryo transfer yes. from the same woman. Okay. And how did that go? It went really well. My mom went with me this time around. So she was my companion. She took care of me while I was on bed rest. Because it was another three days, right? Yes. It was another three days. The intended mother happened to actually be there at the same time because she was trying to do an egg retrieval just in case if this embryo transfer didn't take. Unfortunately, they were not successful. They were not able to retrieve any eggs. Everything went well, flew back home. And a few weeks later, we found out we were pregnant. I was doing my doctor visits here in California, and they would just send over the results to that doctor's office. I actually had done an at-home pregnancy test, and I knew I was pregnant already, but I couldn't say anything. So the agency just told me, whatever you do, don't let her know the results, because what if they're not accurate? So I knew I was pregnant. I had done, I think, like three just to be on the safe side. So, so how did you react? You must have been... We were excited. The first time around, I felt so bad because it didn't take. So I was excited. And then who informed her, the agency? The doctor's office. They sent an email to all of us at once, letting us know that the results were back positive. So we all kind of knew at the same time. So reach, she reached out to you, I'm sure, said that she was happy. Yes, uh, and then was it smooth sailing from then on? Pregnant um, in the same way? Like you've had pretty easy pregnancies? No. I grew really fast this time around. At one point for months, I kept saying, I won't be surprised if there's two babies at delivery. Like we're pregnant with twins again because of how big I was. And every doctor's visit, they would tell me during the ultrasounds, the baby's really big. The baby's measuring larger than he should be. They said, you have a lot of amniotic fluid. He's big. I was very, very, very uncomfortable. I just, I was huge. In February, she had asked if I can send her a photo of myself because she wanted to see how my stomach was growing because I told her I was growing quickly. I sent her the picture. I felt nasty. I just felt like yucky and I didn't want to, but I was like, okay, I'm going to send her this picture. So I sent her this photo. Maybe the next day she started texting me like, what are you eating? What are you drinking? What are you doing? It caught me off guard because one, I already was really big. So I was already being cautious of what I ate and what I would do. I would try to go jogging when I could because I was could I couldn't explain why I was so big. I couldn't understand why I was so big. Because it was the first time you've had that experience. Yes. And then what did the doctor say? The doctor said the baby is really big. Just watch what you eat. What you're doing is right, but just make sure you don't overeat. But they didn't have an explanation for why this baby in particular would have made your body react that way compared to all of your other children and the twins. My doctor, she had questions. She couldn't figure out why. It was a little difficult because I obviously was not the mother. That Genetically, I wasn't attached to the baby. The doctor, she asked me, can you find out about her? And I, I described her to the doctor and I said, you know, she's small. She's this. She's that. She said, what about the father? And I said, well, it's a sperm donor. I don't know. So she said, go back when you speak with her and ask her, we need information about him. I'm just trying to understand why he's so big. 
After I left that doctor's visit, I sent her a text and I said, Dr. Hong is requesting information about the father. She's just trying to put all the puzzle pieces together. And this is after you had sent her the picture. She sent me a picture and it looked like it was a photo that she took from a computer monitor. And it had some information about the father, like his height, the color of his hair, the color of his eyes. I showed it to the doctor. I said, this is what she sent me. And she said, this is not all the information. She said, but just looking at it, he has blonde hair, blue eyes. Maybe he's German. Maybe he's this. So we'll just maybe it's just in his genes. Maybe it's him. Maybe he's big. So she said, OK, you know, don't worry. Just continue with what you're doing. Monitor yourself. So I let the intended mother know, like doctor said, you know, for me just to be careful. Everything. The baby looks fine. His heartbeat is great. After I sent her that photo of me and my stomach, I mean, I was huge, (laughs) I guess showed it to one of her friends and she came back asking a bunch of questions. What are you eating? What are you doing? And I told her, you know, this is what I eat. Like I eat oatmeal for breakfast and I'm not even a breakfast person, but I eat like fruits and oatmeal. Like I snack on like nuts and trail mixes. Like this is what I'm eating. She drove me a little crazy because her response was, well, my friend said that you're way too big for being this many weeks. She said, you look like you're a couple months larger than you really are. And my friend said, you shouldn't be that big. It did rub me the wrong way. Obviously, I didn't want to be rude. So I just kind of bit my tongue. But then I think like the week, a week later, same thing. She was like questioning what I was eating and doing. And it really pushed me over the edge. And I contacted my caseworker at the agency and I said, hey, I'm really sorry. Like, I hate to be that person to complain, but this is what's going on. And it's driving me crazy. Like, I'm already overwhelmed with how much weight I'm gaining and her just adding to it. It's just adding stress to me. The caseworker, she assured me, like, Heidi, don't ever hesitate to let us know if you have any questions. I'll address it with her and I'll take care of it. And I'm so grateful for that because I don't think I could have had that conversation without being rude because of how upset it made me. Right away, the intended mother, I guess, when she woke up in the morning, she read her email, she sent me a message and she was so apologetic. She apologized. Okay, maybe she didn't. She didn't know how she was offending me. And that was just kind of that. So now we're around month two to three. From then on, the baby kept growing, growing, growing. The baby was big. It got to the point where maybe the last two or three months, no, maybe the last two months, they were telling me the baby was measuring three weeks larger than he was supposed to be. My due date was August 24th. End of June, the agency suggested that the intended mother fly out earlier than she was supposed to. Partly because there was a chance for a cesarean? No, not at all. It was just because the baby was so big, they were worried that the baby was going to come earlier. Yeah, the baby was ready. Yeah, for whatever reason, she wouldn't be able to come earlier. As we got closer towards the end of the pregnancy, she contacted me. She spoke English. We had a conversation over the phone and she just said, Heidi, please, please, please don't have the baby early. Well, I really don't have control over that. They come when they're ready. 
she said, I know, but please try not to have him early. I mean, I don't know what to say or do. Yeah. Do you want me to just lie down upside down? With my or, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy. Yeah. So she's probably thinking, don't go for a jog or don't put castor oil or whatever the things do that women do. But she already probably knew that you weren't doing that stuff, that you that you were on the same path or that your goal was her goal or her goal was your goal. But I guess she wanted to make sure. And I hadn't been doing any of that. I couldn't jog. I was so uncomfortable. I couldn't even sit for in the same spot for a long time. I was like huffing and puffing. I couldn't have anyone sit too close to me because I felt like I didn't have space, maybe half of the pregnancy. I couldn't even sleep in the room, the same bed as my husband. And the couch and I loved each other. And like, that's just how uncomfortable I was. Because the due date was the 24th. They had asked her to come around the 12th. No, she was going to come around the 12th and they wanted her to come earlier. It was Wednesday night. I was so uncomfortable. I couldn't get comfortable. I was sitting down on the couch talking to my son. I think it must have been like two in the morning. It was summer break still. So my kids were not in school and my oldest son and I were sitting down talking and I happened to like go pee. After I went pee, I came back, sat down, spoke with him for a couple more minutes. And he said, okay, mom, I'm getting tired. I'm going to go to bed now. And when he gets up, he bent over, gave, gave me a kiss, and I kissed him. And I remember saying, oh, my goodness, I can't get comfortable. So he walks away, and I, I was always on the couch at this point, sitting up, sleeping at an angle. So I remember standing up to fluff up the pillows on the couch and reposition them. And I thought I peed on myself. So I ran to the restroom and in my head, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, how embarrassing. But I have a question before you get to the climax of this story. At this point, were you thinking, I am never going to do this again? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, oh months, months ago. ago. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. I mean, I, I think, think by, by March, March, I was like, I'm, I'm not, not doing, doing this, this ever, ever again. again. It's like a, it's like a crapshoot. It feels like. Yes. I mean, it's just like that with pregnancy anyway. One kid is different and deliveries as well. But you had been lucky that you had had five deliveries, one of them being twins that were predictable and smooth. And this sort of came out of left field. Yes. And then what happened? So, so I, I go to the restroom. It's still coming out. Oh, my goodness. So I'm like, Isaiah. And at this point, my husband's in the room asleep. And he's like, what? And I'm like sitting down and I wipe myself and it's fluid and not pee. I think my water broke. And he said, what does that mean? <laughs> and I was like, he's a teenager, teenager in high school. school. Yeah. yeah. He's but like, good for him to learn. learn. Yeah. yeah. That means the baby is coming. And he's like, oh, you're kidding me. And I said, no, go wake up your dad and tell him mom's water broke. So, so definitely, definitely not close to the due date. date. Right? No, no, three and a half weeks earlier. Three and a half weeks early. Okay, so we're talking early August. She wasn't coming until the 12th. Yes, she wasn't coming until the 12th. My husband comes and we go to the hospital. Were you dilated? They didn't check me right away. And the reason behind that is the nurses didn't think my water broke. We were at the hospital and they can test the fluids. And I guess when they were testing the fluids, it was not coming back that it was my water that broke. And, and this is interesting to me because I always hear of water breaking prior to birth. And I have never had any of my children 
when I gave birth to them have my water break. While I was pushing sometimes is when like the water breaks. Same with you? Yeah. Yeah. So this idea of water breaking is just even alien to me. But it's just depicted as being such a normal part of having a child. So they didn't think that your water had broken. It was still kind of probably it was still concerning that you were having fluids come out of your body while you were pregnant. Were they concerned? They didn't seem concerned. I was actually getting a little frustrated with the hospital because I had never had this. I know this is my water. And they said, no, it's not. No, my water broke. And they said, well, we've tested it. It's not. And I said, call my doctor. They left a message for the doctor and they said, okay, since you feel like it's your water that broke, we're going to have you do an ultrasound and we're going to see how much of it you've lost. And again, remember, they've told me months leading up that there was a lot of amniotic fluid. The results come back, no, there's a lot of fluid in there still. But they've told me that I have a lot of amniotic fluid, so maybe that's why there's still a lot. They said, well, we're going to discharge you. And I was like, so what happens if this keeps happening? They said, well, then come back to the hospital. And I said, but it's happening now. I, I was getting a little frustrated with the nurses. At one point, I had to go pee again, so I went pee. And I'm like sitting down as I wipe myself. And I stood up in the restroom, but I'm like bending over to pick up my underwear. And I noticed when I bent over, it happened again. It like gushed out. Oh my goodness, Daniel, call the nurses. So they're like, are you sure you didn't just pee on yourself? And I was like, you're kidding me. No, I didn't pee on myself. So they said, okay, get back on the, on the bed. We're going to test it. Of course, they came, they tested it, nothing was happening. So they said, okay, we're going to send you home. Okay, I got off of the bed, I stood up, and I happened to bend over for something. And when I bent over, it happened again. And at that point, the nurse was like, oh, okay, get back on the bed. And so the, the, she said, let me go ahead and call the doctor again. So the doctor said, no, she knows her body. If she thinks it's her water that broke, it is her water that broke admit her now. I'll be in to check her. They transferred me from like the triage area of labor and delivery to I'm in labor. And then they checked me and I was dilated at two or three centimeters. I was in labor. I ended up getting the epidural. Had you had an epidural before? Yes. Yes. So they came in, they did the epidural. I think it was seven in the morning. I tried contacting the agency. So who's around at the agency to answer phone calls during off hours? They must have an emergency line. Yes, they do. I have the cell phone number of my caseworker. Of course, they called me as soon as they found out. They tried contacting the intended mother. She was in China still, and they couldn't get in contact with her. So finally, about four o'clock, they were able to get in contact with the intended mother. Four in the afternoon. Yes, 7 a.m. their time. And you're still in labor. Still in labor. I had the epidural, so I wasn't feeling any pain. The caseworker from the agency, she actually came to the hospital. She stood with me in the labor room. My husband was with me. At one point, he left to go get the kids and take them dinner. They get a hold of the intended mother, and they're trying to get her to come out now. But she said she can't. Did this happen the first of the month? It did happen on the first. So instead of her coming on the 12th, she came on the 6th. So she she did this because you were in labor or because she had planned for it? No, because I was in labor. So she actually flew out a week earlier than she was supposed to. 
So, but to me, I was like, no biggie. Don't worry about it. I'll keep an eye on the baby till you get here. I'm ready to push by 9 p.m. My mom is there. Daniel is there. And the agent, someone from the agency is there. At this point, the epidural was wearing out. And they couldn't, for some reason, give me more. I'm pushing. And the baby's not coming. I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm pushing. At one point, I felt every single contraction. I pushed for three hours. And I was crying. These are pushing contractions. So just so we're clear, there are contractions that you get before you push that help the baby go down the birth canal. And then there are actual pushing contractions that come on and they make you feel like you need to push. And they're there to help you push, essentially. So you're now having these pushing contractions. You're feeling them. You are pushing with them. For three hours. Yes. And nothing nothing is happening. Nothing is happening. At one point, I was crying and I was begging for a C-section. Like the last hour, I was like, give me a C-section. My husband was like, Heidi, you don't want a C-section. Because everybody knew that a C-section like was nothing I ever wanted. I was scared. And you hadn't had one before. Never had one before. And so the agency, my caseworker, she bends over and she tells me, Heidi, you don't want a C-section. You can do this. And my doctor, she's in front of me and she's like, Heidi, I don't want to give you a C-section. You can do this. My conversation with Heidi continues after the break. I didn't expect not to have that closure for my entire family. Preconceived is brought to you by Medinatura. If you've ever taken medication for pain, you know that there can be a range of side effects. Medinatura gives millions relief without the side effects of conventional medicines. When I got seriously injured a few years ago, one over-the-counter muscle pain product gave me instant relief. Tea Relief, made from Arnica, plant-based pain relievers in a cream of organic oils and organic shea butter, contains no dyes or perfumes. Medinatura products like Tea Relief, WellMind, Clear Life, and Reboost can be purchased on Amazon, Whole Foods, or Sprouts. Use code MIRACLE to receive 25% off your order on medinatura.com. Hi, listeners. Before we get back to the rest of this episode, we remind you that every share, rate, and review makes a difference. It keeps us connected to you and tells us what stories to bring you next. Share, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the baby's okay. The baby's not in distress. And is the baby even, like, descending a little bit, the like baby a little at a time. Good. Okay. The baby was good. And the baby was coming down little by little with each push or not at all? Do you know? At one point, they said, we can see his head. He's coming. And then all of a sudden, it was gone. I don't know. I couldn't see what they could see. At this point, I had no energy. And I was trying to push. Even the last hour, my mom said, I don't want her to go through this. If She's not going to be able to push him out. If she needs a C-section, just do it now. I don't want her in all this pain. They were like, no, you can do it. Still trying to get me not to do it. And I think I, for like an hour, I was like, give me a C-section. Just give me a C-section. Finally, after a little, like around midnight, they said, okay, we'll do the C-section. So they brought the papers. I don't even know what I signed. Here's my signature. Get me into the room now. Take him out. We went in. They gave me more anesthesia for the C-section. I think I was just so exhausted that once that pain was gone and the anesthesia kicked in and I couldn't feel anything, 
I was like out of it. I was asleep. I remember being in and out of what was going on. I remember being having like waking up to the doctor saying, oh my goodness, there's no way she would have been able to push this baby out. He had an indent on his head from being stuck at my pelvic bone because he was too big. I remember at one point my husband was to the left of me and I remember him bending over and kissing me on my forehead. And then I remember being asleep and then I remember hearing my mom in the room with the agency speaking. Baby is born. He's fine. I think he was like eight pounds, three ounces or four ounces. No complications at all. He looked like he was supposed to be delivered now, not in three and a half weeks. I told everybody, go home, go get rest. I just want to sleep. So in these situations when the intended parents haven't arrived and this happens, they must have some protocol. And is that protocol for the baby to just stay at the hospital? Yes. Prior to having the baby, we did a birthing plan. And that birthing plan, it asked a series of questions in the event of the parents are not there for labor and delivery. Are you okay with the baby staying in the room with you? Are you willing to breastfeed and things like that? We did all of this in April. We did the birthing plan. We sent it over. My attorney reviewed it. Her attorney reviewed it. We signed off. We sent it in. The agency at that point sent that birthing plan over to the hospital. So the baby at that point would have stood in the hospital until the mom came. Again, I wasn't feeling well. I had never had a C-section until now. So it was horrible. It was horrible. I couldn't walk. Couldn't, I could hardly move. And I couldn't move even on my own. People had to help me. So it's exactly what you've heard about with yeah, C-sections. Yes. Yeah. I, even I told my mom, I don't understand how women have C-sections, manage to nurse and still take care of a baby. I felt so selfish because it was just me and I felt like I couldn't do any of it. Because I was in so much pain, I didn't care to see the baby right away. I couldn't. I was in pain. He was born in the middle of the night on Friday. So Friday, I was trying to recover. My kids came to see me. My husband came and spent time with me. And the agency came and they checked on me. They came and stood up with me for a couple of hours. And that day, my kids said, hey, when do we get to see the baby? And Every hospital is different from what I've learned. I remember with my kids and from delivering the twins, there's usually a nursery and you can see the baby through the window. Oh, well, go look through the nursery. And they said, no, it's blocked off. Oh, that's weird. I'll find out and then I'll let you know. So that was like Friday. They go home. So come Saturday morning, the nurse came in. She checked on me and my husband and kids hadn't come to visit me yet. But I asked, when can we see the baby? They wanted, they'll want they be here a little later in the day. They want to see him. They said, you can't. What do you mean I can't? Yes, I can. And they said, no, the baby's not allowed to be with you. And I said, excuse me? And she said, there's a contract that says if the mother's not here during labor, you're not allowed to be around the baby. At that point, I got really mad. So I said, hold on. And I pulled up the birthing plan through my email. And I said, this is a legal document from my attorney. And I showed it to her. And she said, oh, that's not what we have. And I said, what do you mean that's not what you have? And she said, we have something different. I said, can you bring me a copy of it? And she said, let me see. 
she brings me a copy of it. And I guess what happened was the hospital, after they received our birth plan, they sent over a list of questions to the intended mother. Questions like, who's going to breastfeed? Will there be breastfeeding? All these different questions. And one of the questions was, if you're not here in the hospital for the birth, is the baby allowed to be with the surrogate? And she checked off no. And at this point, I was upset and I was trying to get it all fixed and dealt with before my husband and kids came to the hospital because I didn't want them to know what was going on. And I said, when did you guys receive this? Because I have an email of this birth plan that was sent over to your one of your employees. And I said, and she's agreed to file it. And I'm really confused right now. And so they said, I don't know. They had somebody come and speak with me. And they said, this was actually sent over from someone different to the intended mother. She signed off on it and sent it back. And I said, so at what point were you guys going to let us know this doesn't match up with the legal document that you guys sent us? It was a headache. And so I contacted the agency immediately. And I said, hey, this is what's going on. They're saying I can't see the baby. And they said, what do you mean you can't see the baby? And I said, that's what I'm saying. The agency said, let me work on it. Actually, maybe 30 minutes after all that was happening, I received a text message from the intended mother and just kind of rewinding a little bit. So during the time that I was in labor, there's a house that this lady runs and it's for a bunch of intended parents that stay there that are flying over here for their surrogate to have the baby. And once the baby's here, they're not able to fly back home with the baby until the baby's cleared. During their stay here in California, that's where they stay. This lady runs this house. So when I was in labor, my caseworker from the agency said, hey, the intended mother, she's sending over the lady from this house. Her name um, was Wendy. She said, Wendy, is going to come. She said she just wants to check on you so she can tell Judy how you're doing. And I said, oh, okay, no problem. So she Judy come, is the intended mother. Is the intended mother. So she comes and I said, but she's not going to be in here when I'm pushing, right? I said, she's. I don't want her in here. She said, no, 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 no. We'll make sure she's not in here. And I said, okay, because I've already taken care of that a long time ago and I only want my mother, you and Daniel in here and that's it. When I was ready to push, Wendy, the lady that lives here and runs this house, was trying to stay in the room. And I looked over at my casework and I said, hey, I'm ready to push. Can you ask her to leave? And she said, I just told her to leave, but she's not leaving. She's refused. Like She's like acting like she didn't hear me. And I said, well, I don't know her. And as it is, I was hot. I was like in my bra. And I said, I'm going to be fully exposed in a minute. So I looked over to my nurse and I said, Claudia, can you do me a favor? Can you ask her to leave? And she said, don't worry, Heidi, I'll take care of it. And she said, excuse me, um, she's going to be ready to push. We need you to leave the room. So she walks towards the door. But you know how hospitals have like curtains at the entrance? She just stays behind the curtain. And I said, no, like, can you actually escort her to the lobby? Because the last thing I want is her to come in when I'm pushing and I'm like not in the mood to speak to anyone. I don't know who she is. And they said, oh, yeah, absolutely. So they escorted Wendy out. So back to the Saturday after I had the baby, when they said I couldn't see the baby, the intended mother sends me a message and she said, Wendy wanted to visit you. Is it okay if she comes to see you right now? This is my chance to tell her no and why. And I said, you know what, Judy, I'm sorry and I apologize, but no. I'm very upset right now because 
I just was informed through the hospital that I'm not allowed to see the baby or have the baby around me because of an agreement you sent over to the hospital, which is very surprising to me because the document we signed, you said that the baby, if you were not present, that the baby can stay in the recovery room with me and you went and did something completely different. And she said her response was, okay, I understand. So then I'm thinking in my head, like, she's not trying to say I'm sorry, or she just said, okay, I understand. So in my head, I'm thinking, like, she knows what is, like, she knew in she my head. She planned it this I'm, whole time. This whole time. Yeah. She And she knew there was the possibility that this child would come early. So, you know, it's like sometimes you might check something off because it's like, oh, it's never going to happen anyway. But in this case... She knew ahead of time, had been repeatedly told that there is the chance that this child will come early and could have made a decision that was favorable to you. But she had, during that whole time, been like, well, in case this happens and it looks like it's probably going to happen, then no, I don't want Heidi holding this baby or being with this baby, which is crazy. It is crazy. And I just feel like I would have preferred if that was her decision that she told me in advance so I can prepare myself and my kids and my husband. Or she didn't even say like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't, I didn't even know that I had done that. Like, that's not my intent. You know, anything. Forget even sorry. Maybe she didn't want to say sorry. Maybe she just would have wanted to say, oh, that must have been a mistake or something. So she actually did do that. Okay. But it just didn't seem... Sincere. It didn't seem... It didn't seem natural. Or the truth. Like it wasn't the truth to her. It wasn't the truth because her immediate response was, okay, I understand. And then I think it must have been about 30 minutes later, she sent me a message and she said, I'm so sorry. I think it was a miscommunication and I don't think I knew what I was checking off. Sweep it under the carpet. Okay, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. That's what it was. She said, is there anything I can do? And I said, I don't know. They said, I can't see the baby. My kids are like super excited to see the baby today. And my husband is coming and they're all looking forward to seeing the baby. And I don't know. So she said, let me contact them and see if there's anything I can fax over to them right now, authorizing you to see the baby. So I said, okay. So they couldn't. Everything was set in stone. It was a Saturday. So the people, who, the caseworkers at the hospital that handle the high-risk cases were gone until Monday. So there was nothing they can do. So the answer was no. What she did was she spoke with them and the what they were able to do for me is they allowed me to go and see the baby in the NICU. Nothing was wrong with the baby, but they had him in the NICU with the nurses watching him. They let me spend 30 minutes with him. That was it. I couldn't hold him, um, not because they told me that I couldn't hold him, but because I was in so much pain. I was not trying to hold him and wake him and deal with all of that. I couldn't move. What were you thinking when you saw him? I was happy because we got through it um, and he looked so peaceful and I was happy for her. I stood 30 minutes there, went back later on. The kids came and my husband came. And I just told him, oh, we can't see the baby right now because Judy is not here. We have to wait until she's here. She comes in on Tuesday. I said, so we're going to coordinate a time to meet up with her so we can see the baby. And how long was she intending to stay 
in the U.S., do you know? Oh, because the child has to be approved. Yes. We went about two Saturdays later is when we met up with her. Unfortunately, Daniel wasn't able to go because he had to work. So just the kids and I went to go meet with her and see the baby. When we got there, we went in, we saw the baby, and it was the intended mother, her mother, and Wendy, the lady from the house that she's staying at. I remember at one point asking, oh, can I hold the baby? And Judy said, oh, yeah, 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 go right ahead. And so when I was holding him, I said, can I take a photo with him? And she said, yeah, that's fine. So I gave my son, my oldest son, my phone, and I said, hey, take a picture of us. I was holding the baby, snapped the photo with my phone. And as soon as he was done, Wendy comes in and she's like, okay, give me him now. And she took the baby from my hand, my arms. And I'm just, okay, in my head. And Wendy's like, okay, we've got to go now because the baby went poo-poo and we've got to take him home and clean him. The visit was like 10 minutes, if that. I was shocked. I was sideswept. I was shocked. And the intended mother was okay with this? Yeah, she was fine with it. And I thought about it and I was like, that was weird. But okay, again, sweep it under the carpet. It's maybe I'm putting too much thought into it. So a couple weeks went by, I think it was a couple weeks, and I said, hey, I have the baby's ultrasound, and I bought something for him. I want to get the ultrasounds to you and the gift. I said, do you think we can meet up together and we can, me and Daniel can come, we'll come to you. She said, oh, yeah, no problem, just let me know. So the following week came, and I reached out to her. I said, is there any chance we can come this Thursday? And she said, oh, no, not this Thursday. It's not going to work for me. The following week came, and I think it was like a Friday. I reached out to her. She said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm out of town right now. And in my head, I'm thinking, out of town? You're already out of town. And she said, I'm staying at my friend's in San Diego right now over the weekend. And next week, I fly back to Shanghai. And I'm thinking, she's going home. This is it. I didn't expect for you to be leaving so soon. I said, because you told me that we could see the baby this week. So I just, I was going based off of what you told me. And she was like, oh, I know. I'm sorry. I promise I'll take good care of him. It upset me. I was pissed. Yeah, because she was thinking that you had some malicious reason to see this child when really, you know, you had invested more than a year of your life in bringing this child to being and existing. And you just wanted to see this baby. Yeah. You know, people who may not know about surrogacy may see it as something that is maybe more mechanical or transactional or something that you go through without the emotions that come with motherhood. But that's not the case, is it? Maybe other surrogates are different, but I never grew an attachment where I felt like I don't want to let this these babies go. Or if I had to describe it, I felt more of like a big sister taking care of them until mom got home and I can give them, mom can take over. That was more, that's kind of like the easiest way to describe it. I never felt I want to keep the baby now. Yeah, you never felt like you had a right to the baby. Tell me about the emotion of wanting to see this baby is it because you'd invested so much of yourself in his life? It was more what upset me and made me so upset was my kids and Daniel. 
I had seen the baby in the room for 30 minutes and I was okay with that. I was okay with it. I think mama bear kicked in and I need to take care of my cubs now. They want to see this baby and I was very protective of their feelings. I knew they wanted to see the baby and I knew that Daniel really wanted to see the baby. It just upset me that he didn't get to and the kids, my kids didn't get to spend as much time with him, the baby, because it was completely different with the twins. After the twins were born, about a month later, we had a big barbecue. It was like, come over. And a week after I left the hospital, the intended parents came to my house to check on me. They brought me soup. So it was different. Do you feel like there was also like gratitude missing from this intended parent? I don't think there was gratitude missing. And I'm going to explain why in in a minute. So she leaves. And I was just, I was surprised. And the timing was good. So I had to go to these monthly meetings again after I had the baby. And I had my last meeting the week after, the following Saturday. So the whole week, I was ready for this meeting. Like I felt like through both journeys, I had always been like, oh, everything is easy. Everything is fine and yada, yada, yada. And I felt this is what I need this meeting for. I need to just vent. So I told her, I explained the whole story to her. At these meetings, there's two caseworkers that work for the agency always there. They were surprised. The agency, the caseworkers for the agency said, but she seemed really sincere when she was saying, is there anything I can do to let to speak to the hospital so they can let you spend time with the baby? She was like, are you sure? And I said, she came to school here for two years. She spoke English. She and I can have a conversation with each other. She's the type of person that is on top of things. No, it was not a mistake. I was not buying it. Maybe that's not, maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe this is what it is. Maybe that. And I said, but now that I put all of the puzzle pieces together, no, it's not. What do you think, you know, the limited interactions you had with her and the limited amount of time getting to know her, what what do you think she was thinking when she answered that question? I don't know because I feel like I had more interaction with her throughout, more communication throughout the whole pregnancy with her than I did with the intended parents of the twins. The intended parents of the twins, they didn't speak English. We had to use the WeChat app where it translates for us. With the second journey, there was no need for text unless I couldn't pick up. With the twins, It was a text message that went out after every doctor's appointment, and that was it. With her, it was weekly since the beginning of me being pregnant that we spoke over the phone, and sometimes we would text if I wasn't free to take a phone call. We communicated a lot more. You were a surrogate twice and experienced two very different intended parents, and that affected your experience So when you look at surrogacy overall, what's your thought? I knew months before I delivered, I was not trying to ever get pregnant again because of how the pregnancy went. But had I been like, oh, I can do this again and this was an easy pregnancy, that would have been a deal breaker for me. I'm not doing this again. And by that, you mean the way that she treated you towards the end? Towards the end. That would have been a deal breaker. No, I can't do it again. The kids were so excited and I didn't want my kids to be hurt 
because they couldn't see the baby or actually my husband never saw the baby. And it's not because that is their little brother. It's, I think, more for closure. And I told the agency this. I said, I didn't do this just me by myself. This was our whole family. We invested so much in this time that I flew to Colorado and I left my kids at home for three, four days, however long I was gone, or times when I didn't feel well because I was not comfortable and I didn't want to go anywhere and they went without me, or times when I couldn't even wash dishes and the kids had to step in, or at one point towards the last two months, I didn't even cook dinner. Daniel did it most of the time. Once in a blue moon, I would, but Daniel took over. It was no longer... We're a team like where we do it together. He did it all. It wasn't because of how I felt for my own reason of what I went through. But I just feel like as a family, we went through this whole journey together. And then I ended up finding out that Wendy and her mother, that they were worried that Heidi was going to have attachment issues because the caseworker of the hospital painted this picture of Heidi who had this really bad temper because she couldn't see the baby in the hospital. And I looked over at my caseworker. I said, she's probably talking about you because she stood up for me. I'm so grateful for the agency. She went first thing on Monday morning and she met with that caseworker of the hospital. And I told my caseworker, I said, she's probably confusing me for you. And she went and told them, which is fine because my caseworker had very valid points. What do you think intended parents should know? What do you want them to know? How do you want them to behave during the time that a surrogate goes through carrying their baby? They have to definitely take into consideration her family as a whole, not just the surrogate. I didn't expect not to have that closure for my entire family. These two experiences have really set the stage for you to become a caseworker. Yes. Is that what has happened in the last few months? Can you talk about how that happened? The agency I work with that I've gone through for my surrogacy journeys, they had a position open for a case manager. They really wanted to bring someone on board who had actually been a surrogate before. So they reached out to me and I really enjoy being a surrogate. I really did enjoy being a surrogate, even though things went downhill this last time. Maybe I would do it again if I could. I don't want to. I think I'm done. I feel like I've done what I wanted to do. And I've closed that chapter. And it's now my time to just focus on my kids. And helping other women. And helping other women. Exactly. So when they called you, you said, did it take you time to say yes? Or how did you decide to do it? I was immediately interested in the position. I applied. I sent over my resume. I met with the CEO of the company, and I'm really excited. Is this a career change for you? I think so. I feel like the reason I'm a good fit for the position is because I've had two experiences. One really great, super easy, amazing experience, and I had one that was not so great. I wouldn't say it was extremely terrible, 
but it wasn't as great as the first one. And I feel like I could relate with other surrogates and even intended parents that may not know what they're walking into, or maybe they may not know how their interaction with the the surrogate may be. Every case is different. I don't know if there's other cases that are much worse than mine, but I think I got a good taste of good and not so good. And have you come to peace with what you went through? I have. I was really bothered for a while. And the caseworker, my caseworker said, hey, Heidi, well, you never know. Maybe she'll send you photos of the baby. It's been some time already. I haven't heard from her at all. I don't think I will hear from her. And at first I was very upset. I wanted, I was like, well, maybe I should just email her how I feel so she knows how I feel and how she left things. But I'm okay with it now. And does the other family send you pictures? They do. They do. So the girls are about two and a half years old now. Um, they're so cute. Their father is good. The mother is, she's so, she's so sweet. She says, oh, you're like their mom too. I'm Aww. like, no, 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 no. You and Daniel are like their parents too. And the kids are like their brothers and sisters. But she's just such a sweetheart. She's so good. And the girls are doing really well. They're growing So having gone through the experience for the second surrogacy that you went through, do you feel like as a caseworker, this is something you want to kind of warn surrogates about that this could happen or the intended parents to let them know this woman is investing so much more than just her body in this and appreciate her desire for closure? You know, a lot of women probably don't want to give birth and then say goodbye. They actually want to see the product of their quote-unquote labor. Yeah, especially for intended parents, because it's not just we're using her body for a little bit. There's emotions that are put into it. And again, it's not just the intended. It's not just the surrogate's emotions. It's the whole family. If there are other children, if there is a significant other you know, everybody that's involved in it. Sometimes surrogates may not have a significant other, but it's their mother or it's their sister or their friend. They're all a part of the journey from the start. And you can't assume that a surrogate will get attached to a child, but you can assume that a surrogate just wants to see the child. Of course. Yeah. We all know that surrogates through agencies get paid. And I know that you didn't do it for the money. Listening to you, to me, a surrogate is priceless. We think, I know surrogates get paid a lot of money, but to me, it feels like everything you invest, it's actually not enough. And so again, I know that you didn't do it for the money and I know you're going to say you didn't do it for the money, but do you feel like compensation wise, when you add up everything that you went through, do you feel like surrogates are paid what they should be paid? That's really hard to answer because if you asked me, I would be like, again, like you said, I didn't do it for the money. So in my opinion, I would say yes, because again, I didn't do it for the money. I don't feel like it's about it, but I don't know. I don't know. Heidi's prior experience went so smoothly, she says it never crossed her mind that it could be different for her. She believes that surrogates can often be left vulnerable and need to strongly advocate for themselves and take their time to probe deeply during the discovery phase, including discussing the genetic makeup of the baby and whether they are the right body for that baby. Surrogates should also outline ahead of time the importance of closure. I recently asked Heidi if she would have worked with a second intended parent had she the opportunity to do it all over again. 
her reply? Yes, I would have done my second journey all over again. My decision of being a surrogate was always to help families fulfill their dreams of parenthood. After almost a year of not hearing from the second intended parent, Heidi began getting a stream of pictures of the baby, which delighted her. The baby turned one in August of 2020. For our next and final episode of Preconceived, we'll hear from a woman who offered to be a gestational carrier for her friend. At no point did I ever consider being a surrogate for anyone. It was not something that crossed my mind. My pregnancies were not blissful. My births were unmedicated and vivid. And I, you know, it was like birth, I was not the type of person who thought, oh, birth is just a blessing. I can just do this for people. Preconceived, Stories of IVF and Surrogacy is developed and executive produced by Layla Jerusalem for Bridger Media in Los Angeles. The series is produced and mixed by Jason Sheasley. We'd like to thank Stephen Winston for his branding expertise and for naming our show, Nan Ray for designing our cover art, and John Raymond Fisher for lending his voiceover talent.